It is midday here on the Roll Radio Network, and we have the same old cast of characters. Add one. We'll introduce him in a little bit as we come in on a Friday. Jesse, don't give me a dirty look already. We haven't even started talking. You're not usual either. Well, that's true. But we got to get <laughs> used to you there, too. So. I know. It does look a little different from your vantage point, I guess, doesn't it? Oh, well. So, Jesse, it's a Friday. What's going on? I'm excited that it's Friday. Yes. But there's been lots of events taking place this week. USDA will talk about new animal diseases and what they're doing at the 1213. Also, there's been a lot of discussion about livestock at a conference in Iowa. Bruce Gorder will have some on livestock expansion in the state of Iowa. And then for the ones in this hot weather, I don't like it. I don't think anyone really does. But Shaley Peters will bring us an update with our Nebraska State climatologist, Al Dutcher, about what we can expect this weekend into next week and then a little bit on that long-term forecast. For the newsmaker, Shaley Peters is with Mark Sanders. He is the current acting executive director for the Nebraska FSA, discussing the ARC and PLC deadlines. Those are coming up, I believe it is, on August 1st for your designations. And then it is Friday, so it is the Fridays in the field. This time we'll be with Bella Guzman, and she's with Jeff Pohl on wheat markets, irrigation, and much more from out west for today's 117. Very good. Well, uh, as I just talked to somebody who is uh, coaching a Legion baseball game this afternoon, at least it's a wet heat. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's good. Either, I don't think it is. is. Jason Jorgensen, lots of uh, preseason polls coming out. It's that time of year. The Big Ten in themselves is one of the odd conferences that does not sponsor or put out a preseason uh, top, you know, whatever for football. So the media goes and does it themselves. And uh, shocking news here, Ohio State is the pick to win the thing. Although one thing's interesting with this particular poll in the eight years they've had it, in all the years that they've been predicted to win it, they never do. Oh. And they were picked to win the league last year, and that didn't happen. But They were uh, pretty young last year, Yeah, too. they were, and they went out and they made some changes, and they're motivated, so we shall see. You were talking about a wet heat. It, it's a wet heat in Omaha from the Pinnacle Bank Championship for the second round of that particular tournament. We will give you the lowdown on that. A little cooler across the pond with the British Open. I see where it's 62 as they play in and comfortable conditions. Can condition. we get that out here? I wish. 30-mile-per-hour yeah. wow. winds, yeah, too. So. But it's never nice for that. It or it is for like... an hour, and then it changes. So uh, we'll touch on all of that. And we'll talk some Legion baseball with area tournaments going on and state tournaments this weekend. Yeah, not a lot of fun to be out there, Tim. We have uh, Dave Schroeder in here, important, because I heard Sean Spicer's out of a job. Uh, have, they yes. talked, have they given you a call yet? No, they haven't given <laughs> okay. me a call yet. I'm not sure if I'm up for that one. So You don't want that stress level every day? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, U.S. stocks are falling in midday trading, led by declines in industrial companies. The Standard & Poor's Index, at latest report, down 51 points, the NASDAQ composite down 8 points, and the Standard & Poor's is down 2 points. As a matter of fact, yesterday, the NASDAQ hit a record high the day before. We also have some uh, unemployment report uh, coming out today, and we'll have more details on that as what it pertains to here in Nebraska. Well, and and if it's anything like what they've been talking about, the unemployment report's been really good. Stay tuned for okay. my business report at 1253. <laughs> trying, to, trying to get it out of you, Dave. Yeah, yeah. All That's right. A tease. <laughs> very good. Well, thank you very much, folks. Let's send it over to Dewey. As we look at grain markets, the corn and soybeans are lower. Wheat has also moved lower. 
And we talk with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. And we'll start with the spring wheat. It seems like there's more spread unwinding today, Mike. Yeah, I think you've got that doing. You've also got some issues up in Canada where they're expecting a little bit more precip potential in some key areas of Saskatchewan. And so you do have the spring wheat that started us out lower today. Uh, but the, the hard red and the soft red, as you say, because of the spreading in part, um, were able to stay positive on the day until about a half hour, hour ago. Started to see the crude oil make some new lows. We're down almost 2.5% now in the crude, and I think that has had some effect on the uh, gold and had some effect on the wheat. Anything that's got some inflationary bias to it, I think it's being affected at this stage. Well, Australia continues to see dryness, so maybe that's positive for price, but then I would guess traders also look at the supply worldwide. I think that since the last USDA report, the, the market is a lot less nervous about the world weather problems, and they're a lot less nervous about the U.S. weather problems. And I think this is where if the ridge breaks down in the next three trading days, you know, we come back Monday, the crop conditions report comes out, and we see the ridge breaking down and rain starting to fall in these key dry areas of the U.S., I think you're probably going to have to rely upon the August report and the next USDA set of numbers to regenerate some type of buying or rallying bias. And it's exactly, I think, because of what you allude to. We look at the dollar below 94 in that September index, and that should be positive for price, and yet corn and soybeans are on the downside. Why? Well, I think, you, again, it goes back to the inflation. If you look at the primary inflation deflation indicators, the dollar is down, and that is inflationary, but then when you turn your attention to the gold, it really hasn't done much. You turn your attention to the VIX, the volatility index, it's actually near its lows. That's a deflationary indicator. And then you notice that the equities markets are making fresh highs this week, almost on a daily basis at, the, the, at this stage. That, too, is a deflationary indicator. And so the dollar is going to help us, but it's not going to help us for a while. And in the meantime, the trade's saying, we got tons of South American product that's going to compete with us, and I think that's how they equate all this. Today, the August expiration of options comes in. Does this mean anything? I think it could, because the, the leader to the downside is corn and beans, and yet the wheat market is trying to hold above and, and work an inside day, uh, or excuse me, a higher high and a higher low. Meanwhile, the corn and beans are working an inside day on the charts. That is not a negative outlook going into the close. So I think as the options expire, if the wheat would catch again, I think the corn and wheat, uh, corn and beans may be ready to follow. What about on the week? Aren't we still higher in corn and soybeans? We are, but just barely. You know, our close last week was around 390 in December corn, so we're up six cents. And interesting to note that even since June 30th and that big acreage and stocks report, we're only up about a nickel from June 30th. So this answers the question for me. You don't have a lot of weather premium in this corn market going into the weekend. So kind of a slow grind yet. It really is, Dewey, and I think this is where Monday could be a very volatile day. Those weather maps change and those crop conditions go down. We may be ready to test these this current week's highs. Remember, if you'd like a free two-week trial of his newsletter, uh, you can contact Mike Zuzlo at Global Commodity Analytics. Go to the website, globalanalytics.biz, or call 866-471-2588. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Dewey Nelson reporting. 
Well, it is time for Midday Ag Weather, presented by our friends at Holdridge Irrigation, and I'm joined by Paul Perkins. And Paul, uh, I had a friend just tell me, would you stop talking <laughs> about the hot weather? It just makes me hotter. So uh, I'm going to let you talk about it. Well, this. it looks like we will get a break from talking and enduring this hot weather over the weekend. One more hot and humid day for today. Right now, most of us with temperatures in the upper 80s to the low 90s, but we do have some mid to upper 90s over parts of southeast Nebraska, also northeast and central portions of Kansas. Already 97 on the actual air temperature at Marysville and also at Salina and their heat index reading already up to 101. Hot and humid weather expected for today into this evening as that subtropical ridge of high pressure starts to weaken over the southern plains and excessive heat warning. For heat index readings up to 115 along and south of the line from Omaha to York and Smith Center through this evening. So basically southeast Nebraska into eastern Kansas, an excessive heat warning. Otherwise, if you're not in the excessive heat warning, we're in a heat advisory today for heat index readings up between 105 and 111. Now, a cold front will dive south later today and tonight. That'll be the focus for some thunderstorm chances. A few of those storms could be strong or severe, but not expected a big outbreak of severe weather. And if we do see any severe activity, it'll be late this afternoon and evening. That severe threat starting to dwindle as we head towards the overnight hours. That front will move farther south into Kansas and stall tomorrow evening. That will keep a better chance of thunderstorms over southern Nebraska into Kansas tomorrow through Sunday. Temperatures behind that front cooling back to more seasonal levels over the weekend. And in central Nebraska, that usually means highs in the upper 80s. That ridge of high pressure, though, starts to build back from the southern plains in the desert southwest early next week. That will return our temperatures to, once again, just above normal. Not as hot as we saw this last week. A chance of thunderstorms also rise with the cold front by Wednesday and Thursday. In our long-term forecast, it continues the trend of warmer-than-normal temperatures for Wednesday through the 3rd of August for both Nebraska and Kansas. Mostly Mostly below normal rainfall is in the cards for us for Nebraska and Kansas. Wednesday through August 3rd. Your weather factors affecting market decisions today include widely variable conditions in the Midwest and more heat and dryness in the U.S. Plains and Canadian Prairies. In the next few days, a series of cold fronts with rain and locally severe thunderstorms will push across the Midwest into the south and east U.S. Only widely scattered rain will affect the high plains, including those drought-stricken sections of Montana and the Dakotas. In the central and eastern U.S., heat and humidity will gradually be replaced by cooler conditions. Limited rain and above-normal temperatures continue to be in the forecast for central and southern portions of the Midwestern Midwest. That will increase their crop stress and especially the pollinating corn. Crop losses are expected there. In the eastern Midwest, though, where it's been too wet in some areas recently, conditions are now mostly favorable. In the northern plains, pollinating corn now being impacted with likely significant losses. There are already major losses there to spring wheat. In the latest drought monitor, exceptional drought appearing in parts of Montana and North Dakota for the first time in more than a decade. Increased crop stress in the southern plains will be found the next few days with hot to very hot conditions and only isolated rain. It will cool some in the southern plains with some scattered rain in the 6 to 10 day period, but more heat likely after that. Much of the Canadian prairies remain hot and dry. The driest of those areas, southern Saskatchewan, which has been drier than normal since early May, 
The Canadian prairies also expect significant losses to spring wheat. Boy, a lot. Uh, as my mom would always say, it's all, there's always something. Right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of heat right now. A lot of areas, I guess, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with late July weather. But unfortunately, not a lot of people are getting a whole lot of rain, except for maybe the eastern U.S. That's for sure. Well, Paul, thank you. Remember, for weather anytime, go to krbn.com. All right. Thank you, Paul. Look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Flexibility is part of the framework in a new plan for preparation and response to any emerging animal diseases and livestock and poultry. Leanne Thomas of USDA APHIS Veterinary Services explains how previous experiences with emerging animal diseases led to development of new and flexible preparation and response plan to these threats. We have seen in the past 20 years a number of animal diseases that have emerged on the radar screen and have impacted our industry, such as porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome, West Nile virus, and more recently porcine epidemic diarrhea virus have made us realize that our traditional response plans for such diseases as foot and mouth disease or classical swine fever virus or avian influenza is that we needed some sort of flexible plan to address these newly emerging diseases. It was the three-year process of stakeholder feedback that led to the development of new emerging animal disease preparation and response plan. Expansion of livestock facilities can be a daunting process, but one Iowa organization is ready to help with no cost to the producer. Bruce Gorder has the story. Brian Waddingham is the executive director of the Coalition to Support Iowa's Farmers, and he says they are ready to help. Well, we can be your one-stop shop for all things livestock. We can make sure that barn's sited in the best location. We can talk you through all the rules and regs that apply today and tomorrow, as well as help you develop a plan to talk to your neighbors and and the community about what you're proposing to do on the livestock side. Um, But again, today we're really advising guys just to take a step back and really have a conversation with their neighbors and the community and make sure you get support for your project before you start moving dirt. That's a great point. Once you get that support, then it it moves along a lot easier. You don't have to start and stop when you get a complaint then. Yeah, that's right. And it also uh, means that you get your story out there first and that the coffee shop and and stuff isn't telling your story for you. And and we just find that it goes a lot better with the community support if a farmer comes out and and talks to all the neighbors beforehand. You can log on to supportfarmers.com for more information. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. The Senate Appropriations Committee on Thursday passed fiscal year 2018 agriculture appropriations bill that would provide new aid to both cotton and dairy producers. The bill would designate cotton seed as eligible for the price loss coverage program while also propping up the margin protection program for dairy producers. Cotton producers have urged both former Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and current Secretary Sonny Perdue to declare cotton seed as an oil seed, but each had said that the USDA's General Counsel Office has advised that the Secretary does not have that authority to make that designation. 
U.S. Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works will not take up a bill that would have allowed for E-15 sales year-round before the August recess, the committee decided Thursday afternoon. Several media outlets reported that the committee would consider the bill next week. Growth Energy Chief Executive Officer Emily Score said in a statement to DTN that the group will continue to push for the bill's passage, saying, and I quote, we are disappointed with the EPW committee deciding not to consider the consumer and Fuel Retailer Choice Act before the August recess. That bill would have changed federal regulation that forbid the sale of E15 from June 1 to September 15th. You're listening to the Roll Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher and Al, the heat is hanging in there across much of our state, and some of them getting quite a bit of rain, others not any really at all. Can we expect that headed into this week and next week? Well, I think the, we're probably in a scenario. We, we have a cold front that is expected to start pushing through the state today. That's coming out of the Dakotas. It's going to slowly push the ridge that has been in place for the better part of this week toward our south. And by doing that, it's going to allow systems to run around the periphery of that ridge. And hopefully with this cold front coming in and the tropical moisture zooming northward out of the desert southwest into the central Rockies, that will wrap around the high-pressure system. We always hear that ring of fire about. And hopefully that will generate some thunderstorm activity. It doesn't look impressive in terms of odds, but as we've seen in a couple instances this week, when the thunderstorms do get going, they're not moving very fast. There's just not a lot of push in the atmosphere in terms of jet stream winds really moving things along. So they slowly migrate into the general mean direction from west to east. And by doing that, dumping tremendous volumes of precipitation. We've seen that in Iowa over the last 24 hours here in Nebraska. And I suspect that anything that gets going will have produced locally heavy rainfall at the expense of nearby neighbors who will get nothing. But more importantly, we'll get a couple days of cooling before once again the ridge starts to build back into our region as we go into the midweek period, bringing warmer temperatures once again to us. But the models have backed off a little bit on the intensity of the heat, and a more robust sign is starting to show up in the models, indicating that um, we may actually see a breakdown of this ridge with the recent rainfalls in the Dakotas and a cooler pattern moving into the first part of August and really to the the end of the model period, which takes us about the first full week of August, indicating almost a daily chance of us being in the perfect zone for that ring of fire. So in terms of soybeans, this may be the beneficial moisture we need. I know it's not what everybody wants to hear in terms of corn production, but at least there are some glimmers of hope in the horizon and possibly with this return of moisture somewhat to the Dakotas, we'll start to break the upper portion of the Midwest from the drought scenario that's been intense and actually limit the ability of that ridge to build back toward the north. Or perhaps maybe the models are starting to hint at this to some extent. So time will tell, but maybe we're going to start to get past the worst of this heat. Okay, and let's push it out a little bit further into the growing season. What are we looking at with that? Well, not a lot of confidence coming from the 30- and 90-day outlooks put out by the Climate Prediction Center. They do not really show in a, a, a bullseye of moisture over the central United States. Most of the moisture is still situated with above-normal tendencies in the desert southwest, indicating that the monsoon season is expected to continue to be robust. 
But because the nose of that above normal precipitation goes up into central Colorado, it's a perfect opportunity if this if this type of pattern we've been going through for the last few weeks continues, we're in the perfect position to tap into that monsoonal moisture around the periphery of the ridge. CPC is continuing the above normal temperature trend, and I think we have to keep that in play because that has been the major player now for the last three or four months of this uh, of weather across the United States, particularly intense over the last 45 days. So until we see that break, I think we continue the same type of pattern. Brief periods of heat followed by uh, an abrupt cool down, and then all of a sudden we regain that heat back. All right, thanks, Al Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters. Ice. I'm Annie Brickner. The Nebraska Supreme Court has rejected a post-conviction appeal by death row inmate who helped carry out one of the deadliest bank shootings in U.S. history. The state's high court on Friday upheld a lower court decision rejecting, without an evidentiary hearing, Eric Vela's motion for post-conviction relief. Vela claimed in the motion that his lawyer did such a poor job of defending him that his conviction should be rendered void. Vela and two other men were each sentenced to death for killing five people at the U.S. Bank branch in Norfolk on September 26, 2002. A fourth man who served as a lookout was sentenced to life. Vela pleaded guilty in 2003 to five counts of first-degree murder. The Nebraska Labor Department says the state's preliminary unemployment rate remained unchanged at 2.9 percent in June. The department said in a report released today that the June rate was three-tenths of a point under the year-ago rate of 3.2 percent. The new rate also remained well below the U.S. rate of 4.5 percent in June. The report says non-farm employment is up more than 18,600 over the year and nearly 5,200 over the month. In Kansas, authorities say one of three men convicted in the killing of a Kansas woman initially left to die in a car's trunk has been resentenced. 29-year-old Joseph Maddox won't be eligible for parole for 50 years under the life sentence imposed Wednesday after he waived his right to a jury trial. The Kansas Supreme Court tossed his original hard 50 sentence because a judge, not a jury, imposed it. His attorney argues he should be eligible for parole after 25 years. Authorities say an inmate has been stabbed numerous times during a fight at a South Central Kansas prison. Kansas Department of Corrections spokesman Todd Ferding said in a prepared statement that the victim received several puncture wounds in an inmate-on-inmate altercation. At about 7 p.m. Wednesday at the El Dorado Correctional Facility, the prison also was the scene of an hours-long disturbance last month. The Mark Twain House and Museum in Connecticut is offering a unique tour of the historical home based on the board game Clue. The idea came up in a museum staff meeting when someone mentioned the Hartford House has many of the same rooms as the game. The Twain House teamed up with a local improv troupe that plays Mark Twain characters and house staff. U.S. officials say the Trump administration will ban American citizens from traveling to North Korea following the death of university student Ottawa Warmbier, who passed away after falling into a coma. President Donald Trump's legal team is evaluating potential conflicts of interest among members of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigative team. That's according to three people with knowledge of the matter. The revelation comes as Mueller's probe into Russia's election meddling appears likely to include some of Trump's family's business ties. Trump's attorney tells Thursday that lawyers will consistently evaluate the issues of conflicts and raise them in the appropriate venue. We want your news videos and photos. Tip us under the news tab at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Annie Brickner.
A big deadline coming up for farmers and ranchers in Nebraska. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and I visit here today with Acting State Executive Director Mike Sander for the Nebraska Farm Service Agency. And Mike, August 1st is a big deadline coming up. We'll start off by talking about there's a couple of different things landing on this day, but we'll start off by talking about enrollment deadline for agricultural risk coverage, ARC, or price loss coverage, PLC, programs here in the state. Why don't you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, one thing I'd like to draw attention to is that when the Farm Bill passed and we started into the ARC PLC program, producers were faced with two different options to enroll. Once they made their election to go into which program, the ARC PLC, excuse me, the ARC or the PLC program, the annual requirement that they have to enroll their farms each year. So even though the election into the program was a one-time thing for the length of the Farm Bill, they're still required to enroll their farms they have an interest in into the program each and every year. The deadline for that enrollment is August 1st of 2017. All right, and what's the easiest way to go about this for producers as we head towards that deadline? I recommend that if they do not have the farm enrolled, they contact a local office that's administratively carrying their farm and make an appointment to get the farm enrolled. Once they get their appointment made, they also need to ensure that they get the signature of everybody who is sharing in the crop payments on that farm into the office by August 1st. So please contact your office if you need to verify what your enrollment status is. Now you touched on this, Mike. It's not just the farmers and ranchers. I mean, it could potentially be these landlords as well. Yes, that's correct. Anybody who is getting a share of the crop on that farm or sharing in the program benefits from FSA standpoint needs to ensure that they also have signed to that share and have that signature on file in our office by August 1st. It is noted that there may have been some producers who have enrolled early. We started sign-up in the fall of 2016, so producers may have already enrolled the farm early in the year. If a producer who has enrolled in farm has had a revision to that farm or maybe changed the shares and how they're sharing the crop in that farm, they need to get that revision back in the FSA and have that done by September 30th. Now, another thing to think about, this includes several different crops, not just the major ones grown here in the state. So even if you've got a crop that, you know, maybe isn't super common here in Nebraska, it still might fall under this enrollment deadline. That's correct. Basically, what we enroll when we enroll into the farm program is we enroll base acres. And the producers have an opportunity to plant a variety of different crops on those base acres. So when we enroll a farm into the farm program, we're looking at how the base acres on that farm are shared and who shares and the risk of the production of those crops. Now changing gears just a little bit, August 1st is also the deadline to get nominations in for the county. The county committee election system is very unique to FSA. Um, the county committee system that FSA uses is we're the only agency in USDA to have such a system. And a county committee member is a person who basically is elected to serve for a three-year term, and they represent various locations within the county. There basically are three different LIAs in each county, and then we elect a person to the county committee each and every year. August 1st is the deadline for somebody to be nominated to be on the county committee ballot. We encourage anybody who's interested in running on the county committee to make sure that they have a nomination in file in the office that carries their farm records by the August 1st deadline. What exactly does this entail when you talk about serving on your county committee? And then, again, what's the best way to go about uh, getting someone nominated or yourself if this is something you're interested in? Essentially, any farmer or rancher who is elected to serve on the county committee, either judgment and knowledge to help with decisions necessary 
to administer our farm programs in the counties. County committees operate within those official federal regulations and provide their local input on income safety net programs and payments. They set the county average yields for commodities. Uh, They primarily are involved in programs for conservation programs, incentive indemnities for disaster payments, emergency programs, and other payment eligibility determinations. If you are a producer who is interested in running for the county committee or serving on the county committee, and you feel that you would like to be a candidate for a county committee, please contact your local FSA office in which is administering your farm record. You live in the LAA in which election is being calculated, or you can also nominate somebody to be considered for county committee. My advice is they contact the county office that carries their records to determine what local administrative area is up for election that given year, and if they can submit a nomination for themselves or for somebody to be on the county committee ballot. All right, Mike, anything else as we head toward this August 1st deadline for ARC, PLC, but also county committee nominations? Uh, In in regard to the county committee, uh, once a producer is nominated for the county committee and is determined an eligible candidate for county committee, the agency then will send out election ballots in November, then every person who is an eligible voting member in that local administrative area for that county will have a chance to vote on that county committee representative. Uh, Keep in mind that a county committee member who is elected will take office effective January 1st, and they are elected for a three-year term. The maximum amount of time a person can spend on a county committee without a break in on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Joe, is it a positive sign or a negative sign the way live cattle and feeder cattle closed? Well, I think it shows a little disappointment. I mean, it's a, still a positive close because we did close higher. But we sold off here in the very uh, end of the day, well off our highs. Um, the uh, cutouts at noon were, were lower. That held the market back. And then we get some trades down in Kansas and Texas at 120, but a little disappointing because I think that the trade because that's just steady with last week, and uh, I think they were looking for a little bit better than that, and uh, it, it just didn't happen. So uh, a little disappointing, but you know we have a cattle on feed report coming out at two o'clock, and I think uh, some of that was, hey, uh, do I really want to carry? Uh, a big position in uh, to that report, and uh, so I think we had some a little liquidation to help uh, pull us back during the very uh, last few minutes of the trade. We do finish lower for the week uh, in the cattle and the uh, feeders. Over in the hogs, yeah, a little disappointing there too. We had a sell off late to uh, take the August, which had been trading higher most of the day. Back to unchanged, the rest finishing lower uh, until you get to the back, very back months. And so uh, hogs, uh, the cash seems to be stumbling just a little bit, and the cutouts were off over a dollar at noon. So that really uh, put the uh, hogs on the defense uh, through the remainder of the day, and they finish uh, lower, obviously, on the week. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Welcome to Fridays in the Field, a weekly discussion with producers across the state to see how their growing season is going. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. This week we are north of Bridgeport and east of Angora with Jeff Pohl and his crew for Wheat Harvest. Jeff, tell us how the wheat harvest is going for you and the crew. 
we just started wheat harvest here a few days ago. Right now, maybe the wheat wasn't as good as we'd hoped. A little bit had some rust and a little water stress. Stuff we're doing here is actually irrigated wheat. The protein has been up pretty good, so that's a plus nowadays anyway. So that's been good. But uh, yields, this field particularly has been down. We hope we get down the ballot, maybe it'll be a little bit better. So, Have you had any problems with disease issues this year or other challenges in the wheat? Rust in this here and uh maybe wasn't quite as good as i'd hoped but then like say we have some irrigated wheat down the down closer to bridgeport that we hope we're going to be a little better so jeff the markets have been going up some but then slide back how do you see yourself doing with the current markets wheat has come up in price we probably had it a dollar to the commodity price of wheat so wheat's at least getting feasible to make a put it in the black anyway here recently this year so we hope that stays up a little bit till we get done here anyway uh the rest of the commodities, such as corn, uh, is still not very good for us right now. Break even at best, and uh, when you have investment machinery and stuff, that makes it pretty hard to make payments on that. Uh, alfalfa, I sell some alfalfa. It's come up a little bit due to some drought in neighboring states, especially to the west and north of us. I hear there's a lot of drought, and the people are buying hay now, so that's uh, come up a little bit, going to help us. The dry bean price is fairly strong. Most of mine have been contracted. We'll probably show you some beans here later. We've got most of them contracted at a pretty decent price. That's probably our money maker for the year right now. So, Speaking of beans, let's shift gears and talk more about your bean crop. Jeff, has your family always raised some beans, and how do they fit into your rotation schedule? Pretty much have always have always done it, and, it, and it's also an economic deal. Some years we raise more beans than others. This year in particular, we're raising a few more beans because... Uh, the price of corn and beans, the beans are a little more economical, so. Uh, we usually rotate kind of corn and beans is what we usually do. We usually follow the beans, follow the corn. Uh, and sometimes we'll even go into wheat after the beans and back to corn for a year or two. So we usually do kind of help the rotation a little bit. Jeff, with wheat almost done, what will you be working on with the beans? Right now we just finished spraying them. They're starting to bloom. We finished spraying them for weeds and uh, basically broadleaf and grass. And now they're blooming. Mainly just kind of water them, and we'll start watching for insects. Uh, then we'll start uh, maybe even watching for mold or blight or rust or something like that in the beans. We'll start watching for here real soon. Mainly irrigating right now, it's hot and dry, and we're trying to keep them wet. Cole irrigates by pivot mostly on his fields, but still does some gut irrigation, where his daughters Jocelyn, Delaney, and Laurel help him out. Jocelyn, can you tell us a bit about gut irrigating and the schedules you make for the beans versus the corn? Well, it just kind of depends on the field. Like in this one, we don't have enough water to run all the holes, so we have to plug the top ones. That way the end ones can get water. But some of them, like we have a couple fields where we have pipes on both sides, so we have to switch out the pipes. And then some of them can run all day. But like the beans, we have to plug them as soon as they get through because the beans can't be in standing water. Whereas the corn, they can run all day because they can be in standing water. They'll grow fine. We've been talking with Jeff Pohl and his daughter Jocelyn about the wheat harvest and irrigating as the hot summer days continue here out in Bridgeport and around the Panhandle. For more Fridays in the Field, watch all the video interviews from this series on RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Trebella Guzman. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So we took a breather in the grains today. Yeah, today, options expiration day, and I think the rains last night you know, scared off some of these longs ahead of the weekend. Um, 
you know, when you go into a day like today, a lot of these options are trading for less than a penny as the end of the day, and as the market moves, tend to see a little bit of that, uh, I guess, exaggerated would be the way I would look at it. So I'm not, not nothing's changed in my opinion, you know, prices here. This is, I think, one of the higher expirations we've had in the last year. Most of these expirations come around 380, 385, but we got this one uh, as close to $4 as we've, we've been, I think, yeah, going back to probably July of a year ago. So, um, all about crop conditions next week and, and uh, kind of what the weather's going to be doing now going forward. It's still really early in the season. I know it doesn't feel that way because we've been talking about this for so long, but, um, you know, the month of August is still to go here, so I, I hesitate to get too toppy. Did the futures really pretty much add weather premiums earlier this week due to those heat and, um, you know, dryness concerns, and maybe we just corrected? I think that's part of it. You know, I just think the, the corn really is going nowhere. I think the futures are getting a little more volatile, but you'll get the cash price of what a bushel's worth just from the elevator, no matter what it's sold off of, whether the old crop and the new crop. Um, you know, it's essentially the same price as it's been for the last four months, it's really going back to February. So shorter term here, I think the, the, the board is going to kind of jostle around $4. I expect another run-up here, and I wouldn't be selling this this sell-off. Don't chase this stuff lower. Do yourself a favor. Try to get orders in on the hot, on, on higher days and, and just throw them out there and let them get hit. It's, it's usually a good way to do it. I didn't look, but the, I think corn and soybeans did close higher for the week, didn't they? They did. They did. And they, again, I mean, we were down 382 uh, late last week, early early this week, even at one point in the mid-380s. So 390 is, I think, a, a good support level for now. Um, you know, if the conditions are surprised to the bearish side, I would be shocked if we fall back down to that sub-385 level again. But again, I wouldn't be chasing this stuff down. I, I get yourself set up so that, you know, you'll look to buy those breaks, and then and if it gets above, say, 410, you'll have to sell it. And I, I just don't see anything changing here uh, unless the USDA really comes out and confirms it. We'll get some good data next week on that crop tour up in Dakota's. Uh, it's a spring wheat tour, but I think you'll see some, some bean commentary and corn commentary as well. Thanks, John. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com or call him direct, 866-825-8561. Corn finishes the day 10 to 11 and a quarter lower. Soybeans down 4. Wheat down 6 to 7 and 3 quarter cents. Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Fox Business Network on Wall Street stocks are lower in afternoon trading and not a good day for General Electric. Shares are tumbling to its lowest level in 19 months after the company reported a drop in revenue from a year earlier. And Wall Street is going to the dogs and cats or a company catering to our precious pets is the pet wellness and medication company Pet IQ going public today on the NASDAQ. Pet IQ sells a broad portfolio of vet recommended over-the-counter pet medications and healthy treats. And another ride-hailing company is getting into the self-driving car space, but its approach will be a little different. Lyft is forming its own autonomous car development division, hiring hundreds of engineers and opening a new office in Silicon Valley. Lyft said it would be developing its own software and hardware to enable vehicles to drive without a human at the wheel, while also working to attract new partners who can plug their own self-driving cars into its network. With the Fox Business Report, I'm Hilary Barsky. 